Okay, guys, we're back to Galatians chapter 6. Um, as you know, we, we, take a look, we took a look last week at verse 6, uh, where, um, where, you, where you see that the role, uh, the, the whole subject, this whole paragraph is about benevolent giving, but you see in verse 6 the role of the paid teacher, uh, which was a recognized position early on in the church, at, at an early date in the church, it appears that God doesn't trust us to catechize ourselves, so he puts teachers into the church, teachers to whom we are to submit, while the teacher submits to another teacher. Um, that, that is an established position of the church very early on. Um, now, we come to verse 7. And um, again, the whole paragraph is about benevolent giving, okay? But I want you to notice verse 7. It starts in a very odd way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. (laughs) Why, in a paragraph about benevolent giving, would there be an exhortation to not be deceived because God is not mocked? Isn't that an interesting inclusion in this whole discussion? A reminder that that though we may uh, think we are fooling others and maybe get away with it, that God is not mocked. In in some ways, um, this whole idea of being deceived is one of the themes of the book of Galatians. Um, deceived by false teachers. But that's not, the, that's not the end of the deceit. He also mentions in chapter 4 that we can deceive ourselves. And, and this is a reminder. Do not be deceived. This whole subject that so puts you at such unrest, it is one over which God is not mocked. And that, that whole idea that God is not mocked, is a, it's a huge piece of this whole argumentation reminding them in the course of this argument that the real true state of the heart is always known. Maybe hidden to others but it is known because God is not mocked. Um, and then in the, the latter portion of verse 7, uh, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he reap. He then includes and turns to one of the most familiar images um, in his time and in ours. It is the image of sowing and reaping. It is an, an inexorable law. Um, it's, um, it's an inexorable law in the world of agriculture, and it's an inexorable law in the, in the moral universe. Um, it's an inexorable law in the, in the physical universe. For instance, if you eat badly and eat too much, you die early. You reap what you sow. 
And he is using that principle that he snatches from the world of agriculture and applies it in this discussion of benevolent giving. Um, Sowing and reaping. The principle, ladies and gentlemen, is reaping is in proportion to sowing. Reaping does not determine the harvest. Sowing does. The more you sow, the more you reap. That's, a, that's an inexorable law in the, in the moral world, the physical world, the spiritual world. And by the way, he's going to pick that back up because he, he's going to talk later in this, this paragraph about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. It's the same principle. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But he is applying that principle to this whole subject, this whole topic of um, of benevolent giving. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to pose and ask a question, and we're going to spend the night, Lord willing, next week on it as well. Um, why is it that this subject of that the subject of benevolent giving is so sensitive? Why is that? Why why is the whole subject of benevolent giving so hard? I want to suggest there's two reasons, and I'm going to discuss, Lord willing, one tonight and one next week. And the one next week, I hope you won't miss. Um, Because it has to do with this idea of being deceived. Um, But what I'm trying to answer tonight is simply, why, why, why are we all so sensitive about this? Why are we... Why are we uneasy about this subject? Well, again, let me, let me suggest that there's two explanations uh, or answers to that question, and we'll cover one tonight. So here's one of the replies to why, at least in my opinion, why this is such a sensitive topic. And I want to start by going or asking you to go with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18, and if you thought that was uncomfortable, we're about to get some more uncomfort or discomfort. (coughs) Pardon me. Leviticus 18. Now, most of your Bibles are like mine. Um, You know, you've got the 18 staring at you. But right above the 18, there's these uh, these words in uh, bold black print as to what this subject is about. (laughs) Do you see those three words? At least in mine, it's three words. Um, the Leviticus chapter 18 has to do with unlawful sexual relationships. <laughs> oh, why are you doing this, Dr. Young? Hold on. Uh, stay with me, and, and um, I think you'll see the, the logic behind it. Um, gang, first of all, I want you to notice, um, you, you see what the chapter is all about. Our sexuality and the, the, the boundaries associated with it. Um, this chapter is going to tell me uh, who I'm allowed and who I'm not allowed to sleep with. Um, there are limitations being set on one's sex life. Now, 
I don't like people telling me what I can and can't do with my own body. Does that sound rather 21st century? It does, doesn't it? Um, but I want you to notice, ladies and gentlemen, how this chapter unfolds. It is a marvelous principle for the Christian's life of holiness. Watch. Verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Verse 4. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Verse 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see what's going on? Do you see what God has done here? God is about to issue limitations, boundaries. And his ability and his willingness and his right to do so is bound up in who he is. I want you to obey my statutes. I am the Lord thy God. The only reason that he gives us to exhort us to obedience is that these dictates are being given to us by the one who is the Lord our God. My right to command is bound up in my person. I am the lawgiver based on who I am. Without me, there is no law. Gang, there's a very famous quote from Dostoevsky. You can Google it real easily. It pops up real simply. But Dostoevsky once said this. If there is no God, everything is permitted. Do you get that? If you take out of the equation the person of God, There is no other origin. There is no other source. There is no other author of law. Remove him. And you can do just about anything you want. What you are getting in these first five verses of Leviticus 18 is he is stating his right to give rules. Based on his person. He is claiming the right to issue commands. Based on who he is. Remove him. There is no law. Gang. Um, those of you who are consider yourself Christian apologetes, that is, that you like apologetics, one of the proofs for the existence of God, get this, one of the proofs for the existence of God 
is the existence of law. Because you cannot have law without a lawgiver. And so because there is law, there must be a lawgiver. And it is that lawgiver who speaks, and he bases his right to issue commandments on the nature of who he is. You shall obey me. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. That's the only explanation you get. From there, from verses 6 and on, now we are told who we can and can't sleep with. All of these, uh, you know, um, you can't sleep with one of the close relatives there in verse 6. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a real bummer, isn't it? You know, uh, I'd rather shoot the close relative, much less. A, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but you can't sleep with one. Um, how about your neighbor's wife? Verse 20, you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's a boundary. Can't do that. Why? Because God said so, well, I know what I'll do, and this is what the culture has done. We'll just get rid of God, and then I can sleep with whoever I want to. Gang, do you understand the importance of the first five verses? By the way, there it is over in verse 21 too. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. How about this in verse 22? You shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. And you can't sleep with the golden retriever either. All of that, all of those boundaries, all of those limitations, all of those stipulations are made with this rationale. I am the Lord your God. That's it. That's it. Get rid of him, which this culture is so desperate to do. You can do anything you want to. The only right response to all of this is to say, well, heck, you know, I really wanted to sleep with my golden retriever, but, you know, I can't do that because uh, why? Why can't you do that? Because, you know, God said so, and, you know, he's the lawgiver. Well, what gives him rights? Rights to issue laws. I am the Lord your God. That's it. That's enough. And that is the sole rationale underneath all these stipulations. Here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. God has the right to tell me how I can and how I cannot use my body. You okay with that? Okay. With that said... Next to sex, what do I love the most? Well, maybe, maybe actually this one should be in the first place, and sex should be number two. 
But next to sex, what do I love the most? Money. My money. And I want to inform you, may I be the first to inform you, that God claims the right to tell me what I can and what I can't do with that too. That's why I went through the Leviticus 16, 18 with you guys. Not only does he claim rights over my body, he claims authoritative rights over, you know, I have to avoid saying this myself because I'm as guilty as anybody. We're going to have to remove a pronoun in front of money. My. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me begin with just a couple of foundational texts where God establishes his right to tell me what I can and can't do. Okay? Uh, go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Um, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Now, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talented people in this room. A lot of um, uh, gifted, educated, uh, skilled people uh, professionally in this room. Um, you have good educations. You, um, you did well in that educational pursuit. And then um, opportunities arose, and you walked through them, and you've been faithful in them. And as a result, it has... Um, it has um, it's been financially rewarding. Now, do you know where you got those abilities? Do you know where you got those opportunities? Those open doors that you thought you kicked open? You know where they came from? It is I who have given you the power to make wealth. And wealth we have made with a power that, and ability and education. You know, we probably wouldn't be as financially well off if we were born on the backside of a mountain in Tibet. But, oh, made a 32 on ACT. They paid me to go to school. Not me. <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they paid me to go to school. They, they did pay me to go to school, um, but not because of my ACT scores. Um, where'd you get those? You know what? And, and I am absolutely and utterly convinced that the Lord gave me just enough baseball ability so that I could get an education. 
because my family couldn't have afforded it any other way. So, so I, I was good, but not that good. <laughs> not real good. Just good enough to get school paid for. Where did these abilities that we have come from, ladies and gentlemen? Do you understand that? Now, let me show you one more. And then um, I want you to try to find the book of Haggai. It's, um, if, you, if you go to the New Testament, find Matthew. That's the first book. Go left. You'll have, you'll have Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. Haggai. <laughs> this text is, uh, is a little bit more clear. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. How about this? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Did y'all get that or do I need to diagram that up here? Uh, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Those are the first two fundamentals. And if you do not acknowledge those two things, then there's nothing that I can say that will ever reach you, and I'll never try. Because that's where we must begin. Um, now, uh, let me show you one other passage of Scripture and then kind of wrap it up, and um, we'll be done for the night. Um, so, so remember Deuteronomy 8.18 and Haggai 2.8. But now go with me over to Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> Luke 14. Um, it's another parable. Um, it starts in, uh, yeah, there's um, verse 12. Um, uh, um, I am wrong. Um, I'm going to have to tell it to you instead of telling you where it is. Uh, so you're just going to have to trust me for a minute because I've written down the wrong. Anyway, it's a, it's a parable about uh, uh, an owner who owns all the, um, this, this vineyard. And so he gives the vineyard to some tenants. In fact, the text uses the word tenants. And um, it comes to be um, uh, harvest time, and the owner sends uh, one of his representatives to get his share of the, uh, the harvest. And they beat him up. You know that, part, that point, that, this parable, uh, wherever it is. Um, so, um, oh, I tell you what, it's in Mark 12. That's where it is. I can't believe that. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Mark 12, one, uh, 1 through 12. Okay, um, and this man planted a vineyard, I'm in verse 1, and uh, leased it to tenants and uh, went to another country. When the season came, he became a servant of the tenants to get some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then they sent another one, and they beat him up too. And, and verse 5, he sent another one, and they killed him. And so they sent some others, and they beat them up, and they killed some. <coughs> and still there was one other, a beloved son. Verse 6, finally he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. 
and the inheritance will be ours. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the vineyard belongs to the owner. He uh, rents it out to some tenants. But the tenants have a lust to be owner. I don't want to be a tenant. I want to be the owner. I don't want to have just uh, some, uh, 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 you know, professional arrangement so that I can live here and, you know, get a harvest while he owns it. No, 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 no. No, I, I, I want to own the thing. And so um, I don't like being a tenant. I want to own it. I want to be able to call it mine. And ladies and gentlemen, when tenants start acting like owners, we're in big trouble. When I start saying, I will do as I wish with my body, you're a tenant acting like an owner. And when you start saying, I will do, it's my money and I will do with it as I wish, you're a tenant acting like an owner. And I've got some news for you, my dear friend. You ain't the owner. Guys, um, the text that was in Luke 14 that I wanted you to see is in verse 33. Uh, let me, I'll just read it to you. This is Luke 14, 33, and it says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Do you see that word renounce? is not mine and I don't get to use it as I wish and neither do you and all that God has graced us with does not belong to us we're stewards we're not owners and so every time you talk about my money you just remember you're one of the tenants acting like an owner you ain't an owner and God's right over that which he has provided is rooted in his person and his claim that the silver and the gold are mine. Let, let, me, let me tell you just quickly. There is another statement in, in uh, Luke 14 about um, the guy that throws the dinner party. And, um, and Jesus comes in. This is uh, beginning at verse 12. And he said, um, when you give a dinner party or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. <clears throat> Guys, maybe you've heard of this thing that's called the hundredfold heresy. That is, um, I'm going to give something because I'm going to get something back. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not giving, that's investing. Um, we're not giving because we get something back. Um, that would be giving to get. 
and we're not giving to get. But you see, um, all of it breaks down, in my opinion. Remember, I started by saying, why is this such a sensitive topic? Why is it so hard? It's found in one little brief pronoun, my. When I start seeing myself as the owner, that's when everything breaks down. One of the reasons that we're so sensitive is because we think we're owners and we're not. One of the reasons that this is so hard is because we call it mine. It's not mine. And the sooner we get over that, then then I think we won't be quite as sensitive. Um, Guys, our culture has told us that you do what you want to do with your own body. Nobody can tell you what you can do with your body. It's yours. It is also told us that you do what you want to with your resources because they're yours. And God steps into this whole discussion and says, I beg to differ. And, and if we could get to the place where we understood that we, we're just tenants and not owners, then money to us would just be money. It wouldn't be all these other things that, have, that it's become. And we wouldn't be so blasted, sensitive, and, and uneasy when the subject comes up. Now, guys... Look again at verse 7 of Galatians 6. It opens this way. Do not be deceived. (laughs) One of the the root parts of the deception, methinks, is that we're acting like owners and we're not. We're not owners. Uh, I've said that enough. Uh, But we're not, we, we, we don't have rights and privileges to claim over things that do not belong to us. And so the Lord God steps forward and says, oh no, 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 you can't sleep with your golden retriever. Nor can you sleep with a member of the same sex. Well, why not? Because I am the Lord your God. Discussion over. And so then we come to this other subject that we're very sensitive about. You know, guys, the whole whole abortion movement is because people think they have the right to do with their body as they they think they, they want to do with it. And this subject of benevolent giving is so sensitive because we're convinced that I have... um, that I have gotten what I've gotten on the basis of my own grit and grind, and I have been better than the next man, and I have worked longer hours, and I'm shrewder and smarter, and I'm much more of a go-getter 
which is to completely deny a, a simple statement in Deuteronomy 8 that I am the one that gave you the ability to make wealth. We get there, and things aren't quite so sensitive. Guys, that's one of the reasons that I think we're sensitive. There's another one that I want to discuss with you next week, and very frankly, it's far more important than this one because what we're going to talk about is the way um, the power that money has over us. And um, it is... It is, it's, it's pretty upsetting. <laughs> Let's quit. Um, our Father, I, I do pray that you will um, convince your people that we are not, we are nothing but tenants serving the owner. And we're glad to be tenants. And we're happy about being tenants. And we're satisfied with being tenants. And, and we like being stewards. And, and we don't care to be the boss. And we don't care to, to defy you. What we want to do is hear what you have to say, and then um, based on who you are, our only response is one of a glad obedience, a glad submission to a God who is good and a God who has given us all that we enjoy, our health and our wealth, we thank you for that, Lord God, and understand that um, uh, we, have, we have erred by staking claims over things that are not our own. Now, teach us um, the error of our ways, and, and might we find ourselves freed up, knowing that um, what we're called to do is not uh, store up wealth, what we're, what we're called to do is be good stewards of the wealth that you gave us. We, um, we commit ourselves to that, Father, and do so, of course, in Jesus' name.